Have you ever wondered where cliches come from? I mean, like, where do we get the phrase, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite? Where do we get phrases like, you can't judge a book by its cover, or the grass is always greener on the other side? Where do these sayings come from? My favorite cliche, you've heard me say it a time or three, lock, stock, and barrel. Who came up with that? Lock, stock, and barrel. Most of the times we have no idea where cliches originate from, where they derive from, where they come from. Who knows? But that's not true with all cliches. There is a cliche that exists and we know exactly where it comes from. The cliche, of course, is the handwriting on the wall. The handwriting's on the wall. We know exactly where that cliche originates from, where it derives from. Take a look. It comes from Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. (laughs) This reminds me of one of my favorite television shows as a child. Maybe yours as well, right? The Adams Family. Anybody out there remember the Adams Family, right? The Adams Family had a guest, a permanent guest in their home called The Thing. Anybody raise a hand if you remember Thing, right? Sure. Thing. Thing would suddenly appear in a box, and then it would appear in another box, all around this haunted house of the Adams family. Think, a disembodied hand. That's what I think of when I read Daniel 5, verse 5. We go from the ridiculous, though, to the sublime. The Adams family to Rembrandt Van Rijn. And this 1636 painting, it's a classic, right? By no one less than Rembrandt. He based it upon Daniel chapter 5. Rembrandt called his painting Belshazzar's Feast. Can you see the cliche? The handwriting on the wall, the disembodied hand, it's all there. The handwriting on the wall means it's time to wake up. It's time to smell the coffee. It's time to face the music. It's time to change course and change direction. And if you don't, failure and disaster are imminent. The handwriting, (laughs) the handwriting's all on the wall. What changes need to take place in your life? What action needs to be taken right now? Do you need to call off a relationship? How are your finances look these days? Maybe it's time to scale back a little bit. What about some secret habits? 
Uh, maybe it's drinking too much or Facebooking too much or eating too much, or maybe it's something even more serious than that. And you know, and I know, the handwriting, it's on the wall. It's time to wake up, smell the coffee, face the music. We need to make drastic and urgent decisions right now. If we don't, failure and disaster are imminent. Belshazzar's feasts, Daniel chapter 5. Four points I want to make for all of us when the handwriting is on the wall. What do we do? Well, first, don't live in denial. This is how Daniel 5 begins. King Belshazzar, the last great king of the Neo-Babylonian dynasty, right? King Belshazzar made a great feast. It sounds like a Super Bowl party, right? For a thousand of his nobles. Well, what does this great feast have to do with living in denial? It all hinges on when the great feast happened. Historians can give us the month and the day and the exact year. This was October 11th, 539 B.C. We can be that exact. That's when the great feast happened. And what was going on on October 11th, 539 B.C.? Well, you need to know. (laughs) The great king of the Persians and the Medes. King Cyrus, for several years, had been digging canals to divert the flow of the Euphrates River. And Cyrus was almost finished with this massive project, dumping most of the Euphrates River water into adjacent swamps. And he finished on October 11th, 539 B.C. Here's what it looked like. There are the famous hanging gardens of Babylon there on the right of the painting, and there would be the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River now is as low as it can go. And Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians, they are getting ready the next day, October 12, 539 B.C. They are getting ready to enter Babylon. And once they get to Babylon, they want to take over control of Babylon. And Belshazzar knows all of this. And what does he say? Let's throw a party. <laughs> Let's throw a party, Daniel 5.1. He invited 1,000 of his nobles, the creme de la creme of Babylonian society, and their wives and their concubines, with waiters and waitresses and guards and hangers-on. There are about 8,000 people at this feast. You see, Belshazzar says, I don't like reality, so I'm going to throw a party. When the handwriting's on the wall, don't live in denial. Another cliche would be what? (laughs) Don't stick your head in the sand, right? 
We are all pros at this. In fact, we live in such denial and stick our heads in the sand so often we're not even cognizant of it. We're not even aware of it. One way we stick our heads in the sand is what I call minimizing. Minimizing. Sure, I've got a problem with drinking, uh, but it's not that bad. I don't drink that much. Besides, I don't drink the hard stuff, just a little wine and beer. We stick our head in the sand. We minimize things. We also blame. This is another way we live in denial. We go from minimizing to blaming. The reason I don't spend time with you is you keep nagging me. The reason I watch so much television is because of all the pressure at work. Minimizing, blaming, diverting. This is another way we very subtly stick our head in the sand. Diverting. Sure, I've got a problem with spending too much money. Forget about it. Let's go to Eddie Merlot's. <laughs> Minimizing, blaming, diverting, bargaining. This is another way we stick our head in the sand. Okay, I got a problem. I got a problem. I work too much. But I'll stop working so much if you lose some weight. When the handwriting's on the wall, don't stick your head in the sand. Don't live in denial. Don't desecrate holy things. It's one thing to live in denial. It's another thing to desecrate holy things. Daniel 5.2. Belshazzar commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. You know that. Nebuchadnezzar tore Solomon's temple in 586 B.C. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He took the holy vessels from the holy temple that belonged to the holy God. And here for the first time, Belshazzar is bringing them out for a great party. Ooh, an awe ascended from the crowd. This is special. Imagine desecrating the vessels of gold and silver. This is like taking our communion vessels to a Super Bowl party. <laughs> but the crowd loved it. What did he do it for? So the kings and his nobles, his wives and concubines might drink from them. Pass the beer and the wine and the hard liquor around. There are people who are laughing. They're joking about it. Someone starts singing a hymn. This is Daniel 5. A hymn to the Babylonian gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wooden stone. Everybody's having a great time. And this is exactly what Belshazzar wanted. As Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians are getting ready 
to enter the city the next day. Belshazzar wants everyone just to get lost in a drunken stupor, and it's working like a charm. When the handwriting's on the wall, don't desecrate holy things. How do we do that? When I know a painful decision needs to be made, it's easy to treat God's word lightly, ignore his promptings repeatedly, Dismiss the power of prayer nonchalantly. Don't desecrate holy things. God's word, his spirit, his prompting is after you, after me, to make some hard, critical decisions. How do we know that? (laughs) We can see the handwriting on the wall. Third. Don't discount the obvious. Belshazzar calls in Daniel. Daniel, who then provides this interpretation and this rebuke of Belshazzar. So Daniel's talking here. You, Belshazzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Anyone ever tell you that? You knew all this, and you say, well, what's the this? (laughs) What did I not know? What's the this here? This would be everything Nebuchadnezzar told King Belshazzar. In other words, the grandfather told the grandson all this. When the handwriting's on the wall, don't discount the obvious. The obvious is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel records this dream in chapter 2. We looked at it about three weeks ago, right? Nebuchadnezzar sees this massive statue made out of gold and silver and iron and clay and bronze. At the end of the vision in Daniel chapter 2, remember the stone comes and crushes the statue. And I made the point along the lines of Psalm 118, verse 20, and 1 Peter 2, verse 4. The Bible says this stone is the stone the builders rejected, but he is the cornerstone. He's the living stone. That would be Jesus. What a vision. The kingdom of God comes in Jesus and annihilates and destroys all competing kingdoms. And Belshazzar knew all this. Nebuchadnezzar also told his grandson Belshazzar about another dream. In Daniel chapter 4, I preached about this last weekend, right? Nebuchadnezzar thought he was this high and mighty tree. God cuts him down to size and Nebuchadnezzar walks around like an animal. The technical term for that is lycanthropy, right? It's, 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 a, it's a real disease. People are so insane, they think they're animals. And Nebuchadnezzar says to his grandson, that's what happened to me. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and got back his humanity. But Belshazzar knew all this. 
Daniel 2, Daniel 4. What do you know that you're denying? What are you denying when it's just so obvious, the handwriting's on the wall? Isn't this amazing how Rembrandt captures the fear and the surprised look of Belshazzar? What do we know that we're ignoring? Or to use another cliche, how are we pulling the wool over our eyes? We've made our job our idol. And our children want our time and attention. You knew all this. We can be cynical and sarcastic and jaded, and and we use that demeanor in our family, at work, and we see what it does to people. Their countenance fails. You knew all this. We're not spending money in ways that honor God. Time to make him Lord of the checkbook. You knew all this. Belshazzar knew all this. He knew about Daniel 2. He knew about Daniel chapter 4. But he insisted on dismissing all of that evidence. So who shows up? (laughs) The disembodied hand. Talk about crashing a party. No torso, no arms, no legs, just a hand. Talk about freaky Friday. When the handwriting's on the wall, don't live in denial. Don't desecrate holy things. Believe in God's leading and prompting. Don't dismiss the obvious, but most important, When the handwriting's on the wall, don't dismiss God's message. What's the message? Well, the hand comes, writes the message in Aramaic, and then leaves. Belshazzar, the Bible says, is shaken in his boots. His knees buckle. He begins to faint. Daniel comes and gets right to the point. Daniel interprets God's message. Many, many tekel pars, and you heard it as Jacob Pennycamp read this. Many, many, uh, many in Aramaic means numbered, which means Belshazzar, your days are numbered, and they are now at the end. Tekel means weighed in Aramaic. Belshazzar, Daniel says, you've been weighed in the scales of justice and been found wanting. Parson means divided. Your kingdom will now be divided and be ruled by the Medes and the Persians. Or to use another cliche, Belshazzar, the party's over. And so is Belshazzar. Daniel 5.30, quote, That very night, what night? (laughs) October 11th, 539 B.C. That very night, King Belshazzar was murdered. And my loose translation of many, many tekel parzin would be this. Belshazzar, you blew it, and that's that. Thank God 
And I mean this. Thank God this is not his final message. Thank God this is not his fullest message. But his final and fullest message also, you probably know this, involved a hand. There was a hand this time. But but this hand was connected to arms and a torso and legs and a head and a heart. And it wasn't Freaky Friday. (laughs) No, not for the full and final message of God. It's not Freaky Friday, but it is a Friday, no doubt about it. It's a Friday we call Good Friday, and the hand of God appeared. There it is, right there for us. And the message isn't on a plaster wall, right? The message is on Roman wood. And the message isn't written in ink. The message is written in the blood of Jesus. But there's still four words, not many, many tekel parsin. No, there's these words. He died for us. It is my great shame and disgrace that I announce to you that I take this as a cliché far too often. It's just a cliché. What's the big deal? No, this is no cliché. This is God's message straight from his heart to yours. He died for us. The blood of Jesus was shed for us. We are forgiven and whole and cleansed and mercied. And at this table, we are bodied and bloodied in the name of Jesus. This is no cliche. This counts for everything. And because of this handwriting on the cross, we can face every handwriting on the wall. Whatever decisions of moment we need to make, we can face those. We can decide upon those. Every handwriting on the wall can be faced with courage and confidence because of the handwriting on the cross with the blood of Jesus. And that's Daniel 5. And that's finally... Never, ever, any kind of cliche. How about we stand and sing about it?